Um, so we really kind of kind of went nowhere, and then yesterday morning I opened it up, and uh, it's really uh, there's something there that God has shared with me. I'd like to share with you, and I I told da- I told Dave this morning that, and he said, uh, and then a little while later he got back to me. He said, "Thanks for reminding me about Isaiah 51." He said, uh, "I read it this morning because he said I was feeling really dry spiritually this morning." And he said, and I read it, he said, and God really spoke to me about it. So I'm, I'm interested, maybe we can compare notes uh, sometime this week and really see if uh, see if it's all in the same channel, you know. So <laughs> Anyway, Isaiah 51, already shared part there. And the second message in it is in, in verse 7. I'm not going to share the whole chapter uh, because of time, but... Part of this, uh, of what stood out to me, is in verse begins in verse seven. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the days of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sigh. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die, and of the son of man who shall be made like grass? And you forget your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day, because of the fury of the oppressor, when he has prepared to de- who he has, when he has prepared to destroy, and where is the fury of your oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread should not fail. But I, am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, his waves roared. Amen. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. This is a message of encouragement to the people of God, to us who are in Christ, because one of the things that in our natural in our natural self that we all struggle with to one degree or another is the fear of man. In Proverbs chapter 29 verse verse 25 it says the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And the Lord says to us again listen to me you who know righteousness you people in his heart is my law. And that's 
the message about those who had been born again. It says about the new covenant in Jeremiah that he would put his law in our hearts and in our minds. The message is to us. His word he's put in our hearts. And we've been born again. And he says, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. He says, do not fear the reproach of men. Nor be afraid of their insults. You know, it says amongst, even amongst the priests in, in, in Jesus' time, and the Pharisees, and amongst a lot of the people in Judah, they believed that Jesus was the Christ, but they wouldn't confess Him because they were afraid of their fears. They're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. I mean, that was the center of Jewish society was the synagogue. There was a great cost to be paid. And they had the fear of men, and they said they loved Jesus. It said about them, they said they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The peer pressure formed who they became, and they they were pressured, and they gave in to that pressure. But it says, "Don't be afraid of their insults, for their moth will eat them like a garment, and the worm like wool. The worm will eat them like wool." But my righteousness will be forever, my salvation from generation to generation. In verse 12, he considers, he continues that where he says, I am him who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who will die? You remember the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. He said, but fear those who after are killed can cast both body and cast soul into hell. He said, he's the one who you should fear. Fear God, not man. And so, the Lord puts it to us here when he says, why why should you be afraid of of men who will die? And of a son of man who will be made like grass, and you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth. It was God who made all of this. He is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and everything in it. And it goes on to talk about how He divided the Red Sea, to let the captives of Egypt go out, and all the miracles He did in Egypt, how He destroyed Egypt by a mighty hand, to take the prisoners out of Egypt, and to bring them into their to the land of promise. He's still the same God. He hasn't changed. And so he puts it to us, what are you fearing mortal flesh for? He says, I'm the one that you should have respect and fear for. You know, and, and he's, he was saying that we should have our confidence in him. So from there we go to Matthew chapter 5. Begin in verse 8.
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under by the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In this situation, it talks about the peer pressure, and it says the great blessing of persecution. It says that all, the, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul wrote. And so, when we are persecuted, we can either give in to that persecution and conform to peer pressure, or we can stand up against it and put our trust in God. The fear of man is a snare. But those who put their trust in the Lord shall be safe. Because this is a time that the Bible says that people will be declaring peace and safety. And sudden destruction shall come upon them. The world is clamoring for peace and safety and health and everything else. Because they're scared about what's going on in the world. But it shouldn't be that way for the people of God. Because we have a higher calling a spiritual calling. And we are the children of God. And so that should give us confidence. He's not just with us, as we said last week, but if we're in Christ, He's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is living in us who are in Christ. Amen. <clears throat> and so we shouldn't cower at persecution or people speaking evil of us Saying, slandering us, saying things falsely about us, as it says here. Have you ever been slandered as a Christian? I remember there was times as a young Christian, people slandered me, and I was like, you know, I was ready to put up my spiritual dukes and ready to give them a piece of my mind and <coughs> blast them with Bible verses and everything else. I never really felt that way, but I believe you. Yeah. So, I believe that, you know, a lot of people are really scorned and mocked for, for their Christian belief. It says, blessed are us. We don't have to be defensive about it. When God gives us an opportunity to give an answer to those who wanted to know the reason of the hope in us, or also, don't, they think it's strange that we don't live the way they do, as Peter said. It gives us opportunity. But as we live this uncompromising life, it's us shining our light and being the salt of the earth. 
And he said, we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't cower under the pressure of what other people will think of us. He said, let your light so shine in the world around us. Those who are in darkness. And we can be a lighthouse to those who are in darkness. No matter what they think of us. I remember, you know, sometimes people of the world will speak evil of us. I remember one time Paul Yoder told a story uh, about, he was talking about this guy who was a really successful salesman. And he talked about how that you have a bunch of people in the room and he started making his sales pitch. And he said, there always be one guy. He said, always speak up and start arguing loudly with him and try, you know, jeering him and everything else and putting him down and everything. He said, that's the guy I saw as a potential customer, that salesman said. He was a very successful salesman. He said, well, why is that? I don't know. He, he, I guess because it, <laughs> it stirred something up inside of the guy. He wanted to, you know... He wasn't indifferent about the sales pitch or something. I don't know. But sometimes when people are strongly resisting the word, it's because it pushes a button inside of them. It brings conviction. It's, it's, they're not numb to what they're hearing. There's, there's a reaction. And so, let your light so shine before men. Let them, let them speak evil of us. Let them slander us. Let them mock. Let them do what they will. Speak all kinds of evil against us falsely. Let them do it. It's okay. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great will be our reward in heaven. We look to the reward. That's what we have to look to. And also the purpose. that we're People can laugh all they want, but let's face it, no matter what they believe, one day their knee is going to bow and their tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of this is going to be different than it is right now. This life will not continue the way it is right now. There's, As they say in the old days, there's a day of reckoning for all of this. There's a day where God is going to bring everyone into account and reveal the secrets of men's hearts, it says in Romans chapter 2. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person, whatever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your, your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile with him, go with him too. Give to him who asks from you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and in the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not tax collectors do the same? And so forth. And the message in this is very uncomfortable to our human nature. But you know that Jesus called us beyond our human nature. 
Not life in the flesh, but life in the Spirit. And believe me, that I, I wish I had a dollar for every sermon I heard from a preacher who said that this isn't saying what it's really saying. But yes, it is. With the new covenant came new teachings. A lot of the, a lot of the justification, justification for neutralizing to what Jesus is saying here comes from the Old Testament. But in the book of Jeremiah it says that God would bring forth a new covenant. And the teachings of the new covenant would be, not be like those from Mount Sinai that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And which one appeals to each of us more? An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth? Or love your enemies and do good to those who do evil to us. When someone hits you, turn the other cheek or let them have it back. Which one which one appeals to our human nature more? As we hold our finger there and look, where does it say this? It says it uh, in Luke chapter 5. Hold your finger in Matthew there and go to Luke chapter 5. I was talking with Dan about this last week. We're having a little discussion and something similar to this last week. Luke 5.36 And he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken of the new does not match the old. And no one puts a new wine into an old wineskin. Or else the new wine will burst the old wine, old wine bottle and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says, the old is better. And this is a parable. What's it mean? It's very clear. These are the two covenants. You can't mix the old and the new covenant together. It's very clear that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant have very different teachings in it. And if you look at the history of Christendom, the scarlet thread that defiled Christendom was the mixing of the Old with the New. You look at, the, at Europe, what happened during the Dark Ages in Europe. You look what happened over here in the cases of people that came over here. Because to escape persecution, it came over here, and yet many of them did the same thing over here. By justification of not loving their enemies. Let's face it, if you, if you taste the old wine, no, you won't desire the new because the old is better. Just with wine... If you know anything about wine, aged wine is much better than new wine. The old, the old wine tastes better, and that's what Jesus is saying. The old, the old covenant, there's things, the teachings, some of the teachings of the old covenant appeal to the flesh and appeal to us much more than the new. And so the justification to appease the flesh by mixing the old with the new. And it says, you put an old patch... A new piece, a new patch, an old piece of clothing. It's going to shrink. It's going to ruin that piece of clothing. 
He says you put old new wine in old wine bottles, the pressure of the gas that's given off is going to break the old wine bottles. And so you have to put new wine, he says, in a new wine bottle. So let's continue uh, back in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> if anyone compels you, in verse 41, to go one mile, go two with them. Roman law, the Israelites, were, the Jews were under Roman law at this time. They were under the cruel law of the Romans. They were under Roman occupation. And the law was that you, if a Roman soldier told you to carry his armor, you had to carry it for him one mile. And Jesus says, if they compel you to carry one mile, go with them two miles. That's where the statement comes from, go the second mile. Go the extra mile. That's where it comes from. Giving to those who ask you and borrow. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil man in the good man's house. He makes the rain to go on the evil man's house and the good man's house. This is the way God is. And the sons of God should live like their father. And vengeance belongs to the Lord. And to be able to live this way, we have to have confidence in the Lord. And who God is, as we talked about in Isaiah 51. We must have our confidence in knowing who God is. And be assured that He is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? And as Jesus did, it says in Philippians, that He committed Himself into the hands of a faithful Creator. Love our enemies. Do good to those who do evil to us. If you read in the book of Acts, at the persecution that began in the church, when Stephen was murdered, they didn't gather together a militia army. They didn't stockpile weapons and fight back. They did what Jesus said. If they persecute you in one city, Go on to another city, and to another. And as they did, they did that, as they did, they preached everywhere, and the gospel spread like wildfire. And there are groups through history that live that way. And the justification among some that say, if you live that way, we'll all be destroyed and evil will take over. How did these groups survive? God is with them. Some of them, just like in that time period of the early church, there was persecution. And some were martyred, but many survived and continued the church. And the church did not diminish, but it spread. Look at the church in China. The communist Chinese have tried everything to stamp out the church in China. Can't do it. The church lives on in Muslim countries all over the world. The gospel of the kingdom is going out to the whole world and the end will come, Jesus said. And it is. Praise the Lord. So, <clears throat> a final thought I have before I turn it over to Dan. It's a continuation of this. It's in the power of the sower and the soil. 
where we come to the stony ground. Jesus talked about the seed being the Word of God. And He described the different soils, and different soils being different hearts. And when we come to the stony soil, Jesus, He explains what it is in Matthew 13, 20. But he who received the seed on the stony places, it is he who hears the word and immediately receives the joy. But he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a while. For when persecution, tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He professes Christ for a while until trouble or persecution, tribulation, or persecution because of the word spring up. Jesus said, in this world we'll have trouble, tribulation, and persecution. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It says at the time of the end, before the man of sins revealed, we read it last week, there will be a great falling away, a great apostasy. What is it from? Persecution and tribulation will cause many to stumble. Jesus said, because iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And so from there, go to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The same passage in Mark 4, and Jesus, as he gives the explanation, is very similar. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. They endure for a time. They profess Christ for a time. And they endure for a time. But it says the same thing. They have no root in themselves. The Word of God doesn't go down deep into the heart. It stays on the surface. No deep foundation. And then in Luke chapter 8, the same one. Luke eight thirteen, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear it, receive the word with joy, and they have no root, who believe for a while, but in time of temptation they fall away. There are those who believe for a while, it says. And we can analyze that 50 ways, but this is what Jesus said, so we'll just take it at face value. It says they believe for a time. But they give in to the peer pressure. They give in to the fear of man. They begin to fear what man can do to them. And it causes them to stumble. And they don't continue in the Lord. And it's tragic.
And back to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of Matthew. Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. And the message is very clear in this, that the elect of God are new creatures. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old way of life passes away, all things become new. The elect of God endure to the end and will be saved. He that endures to the end, the elect of God, he shall be saved. And he talks about those on this in here who did things in the name of Jesus. They believed on, a, on some level in somebody named Jesus in the story of Jesus, to some degree or another, they were, according to them, they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. They were doing many wonderful works in His name. They were prophesying in His name. But Jesus said, you practice lawlessness. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Is this a gospel according to works? Of course not. But it's the indication of the new life. It's a witness of the new life. That those who are in Christ, they do the will of the Father. The evidence of the new life. And so, that's the evidence in embracing the teachings of Jesus. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that we read from it, as well as everything else that Jesus taught in it, He says, well, those who hear these teachings that I've just taught, He said, you're the wise man who builds a house on the rock. You hear His word, and you embrace it. Those are the words of my Lord, I'm going to do them converted heart to change life. But he says about the foolish man who hears the words and doesn't do it. He doesn't embrace the words of, of the Lord. And on judgment day Jesus confronts him. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You work iniquity. And his house falls because he heard the words of Jesus but he didn't do them. He didn't follow them. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. 
And it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and to live wholly godly and righteously in this present age, looking for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God that Paul says brings salvation. Because even at that time, there was a false grace being preached. But we who are in Christ recognize that the grace of God not only forgives us, but the grace of God teaches us through the, through the Holy Spirit. Dan, I'm going to turn it over to you. Why don't we switch places? You want to share something from the Word? Because everybody will be looking at your back. I'm thankful I can be here today. And uh, what Ron was talking about um, here is something that affects everyone. Without exception, doesn't it? To seek honor of man. The fear of man brings a snare. We have to come to Jesus, and the beauty of coming to Jesus is coming to the one who truly loves you. There is no one on earth that loves as Jesus loves. I'm so thrilled with that thought that when you, you can go uh, to the best preacher in the country, the most eloquent, the most uh, educated, and try to get advice how to deal with your problems. But none of them can deal with it uh, or get, and guide you as Jesus. When everything is said and done, at the end of the day, we go to Jesus and he understands us. He understands me better than anybody else. And I love that. And that means what Jesus wants out of us is a relationship with him daily coming to him and seek him for whatever troubles you. You can't run down the road to the neighbor every day, hey, I th this happened to me and uh, what do I do now? You know, or the preacher, or go, you know, whatever. But a relationship with Jesus is the key to eternal life because he loves us. I don't, I don't think we can overemphasize the how much he loves us. Now we're we're all all of us here are heading somewhere. And uh, it depends on how important it is to be free from myself, to do God's will. How important is that? How important is that to Jesus? It's everything to him. He wants uh, to give us everything, but we must give up everything. We must be ready to forsake all to follow him. But we all have a life we want to live, don't we? 
And uh, we can be we can be somewhat like Aiken when he took some things out of uh, Jericho when the walls fell down, and he hid them in under the ground in his tent. But you know what? That affected the whole Israel. You know what we can do, what, how we can bless each other the best? By being faithful in our personal life. That's how we can bless the others. If we have some hidden thing that we're holding on to, we don't want to give it up. I have a life I want to live here on earth because I live here on earth. I see what, what's on the earth and I, have, I can have so that this is what I want. This is, you know, whatever it is. But how blessed it is to just give everything up and just let Jesus be Lord. Because what, how far do I get in a Christian life and a Christian growth, Christian development? It's based upon how completely given up I am to Jesus. And His Word is here. And the Holy Spirit, He gives us to guide us through His Word so we can understand it. And that's, that's really, really important. I was thinking about as Ron was talking, those different scriptures came to my mind. <laughs> and one of them is in John chapter 5. I thought about, I thought about this scripture and I thought about an experience I had. See, when I when I, I I was Amish, and I left the Amish, and then there was times that there were people. I was told of different Amish people that are potentials for receiving truth and are seekers. And there was a man that was a seeker. Uh, or at least if he had he had questions about his uh, relationship with God and and being Amish and so on. But he had a wife who was a strong Amish person. No way are we leaving the Amish. No way. No way. And uh, I went to visit him, and I was told afterwards that 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 evening when I spoke to him uh, he made excuses and uh, I left feeling like I didn't wasn't able to reach him that that's just how I felt later I was told that his sister was watching out the window and she told he she saw Satan there with us. There were three of us. And when he turned and went back into the house, Satan went with him. He didn't see that. But it was, you know, Satan is working to try to keep us from paying the price. And um, 
this here, um, there's a number of scriptures that talk about this important matter. And 5 of John, and verse, I'll start reading verse 43. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? How can ye believe that seek honor? You know, when we seek honor from one another, the, the message becomes unclear. What Jesus is saying and that calling us to do becomes unclear because it gets influenced by someone else. And you know when I when I um, after I got converted and I started following Jesus, I was told that uh, if if you keep reading the scriptures like you're doing, you're going to lose your mind. <laughs> You get a new one. It works. It works. <laughs> you get a new one. <laughs> That's true. I got a new one. <laughs> but I didn't have that much understanding at that time. That, hey, I got a new mind. And I, I wasn't capable of arguing the point, you know. But I said, there's one thing I have. Jesus is not a liar. We can trust him. What he says is true. And he said, any man that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But these people that said I'm going to lose my mind or whatever they said, they didn't know my heart. They didn't know how holy and completely I came to Jesus. How ready I was to forsake everything to follow him. They didn't know. So I can't, I can't turn around and be a judge on them. They spoke from the way they thought, what they feel they knew, you know. And uh, especially my mother, I love my mother very dearly, and I hope she made it to heaven. But uh, she had, in her growing up years, had experienced seeing people leave the Amish church and then they got all scattered apart in all different churches and they couldn't get along and the same thing happened for me and my brothers. It really did. I got rejected from my brothers because I believe what the Bible said. Now, isn't that pretty boastful, you know? Doesn't that sound boastful? But, uh, for example, I believe that Jesus was tempted in all points like us. I believe that, uh, why? Because it said so. <laughs> you know, but I wasn't allowed to believe that because that's deception. Because he's God, he's not like us. <laughs> so he couldn't be tempted like us. Right? I mean, I was challenged to the very core of my being that what I believe is just wrong, it's not, it, it's not right. But I hung on to the one that saved me, 
that's Jesus. He came into my life to teach me. Nobody else came into my life to teach me before him. Yes, I, I heard all the, the doctrines of the church and, and how I should live and the rules I should obey and all that and everything will be fine. But it didn't give me peace. It didn't liberate me. It didn't help me uh, find uh, assurance and consolation. And uh, that I found in Christ. Now you can do the same. But how much... How much interest do all of us have in being saved to the uttermost? In, in, um, in um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, He is able... I'll read it then. I, uh, Hebrews... able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. That's Jesus. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. If I have problems with this one thing or another, and when we start out, we are little, we start out as little children. And we're supposed to walk with him as little children all through our life. As soon as we start feeling grown up, we get we lose it. We have to be with him as little children being taught of him all our lifetime. And those who can most humble themselves can get the furthest in life, in this life, to grow up and become mature in Christ and understand him because it comes through fellowship with him and when I have need I go to him with my need and he helps me now also the very very familiar scripture and Luke 14 Just as I'm looking for this, uh, yeah, verse 26. Okay, I'll read that. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And what happens with us if we are not Jesus' disciple? We can be very religious and not be Jesus' disciple. We can try to obey all that Jesus taught and not be his disciple. It comes through a relationship with him and through his help and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us that we come to do his will. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
And uh, so he's the one who does the work. All we do is surrender our will to him and obey what he says because that's the way we gain victory over the feelings that try to keep us in bondage. So my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my wife, my children, all would like to spare me from some of the things that I have to suffer to be a, a true Christian. Oh, you don't have to be that radical. <laughs> you understand? We don't have to be that radical. Now, you don't have to be that serious. That's just how it is with the human race. Where we try to, our love is, our love is, is muddy water, you know, like muddy water. It's not, it's not pure love. True pure love is when you love someone enough that not, not uh, deceive them in thinking they don't have to go through something to be a Christian that they have to go through. So, I will also turn to Second Peter. We have to be free from man to walk with Jesus. And you know, after I gave my heart to the Lord, I found out how bound up and in bondage I am to man. It bothered me so, so much. Just even to give my testimony. It, just, it was just so hard. I always, I was constantly worried about what people think of me. I wasn't free at all. And I could have said, it's useless, it's hopeless, I'm never going to be able to be free. I could have really felt justified to say that. Because that's exactly how my condition was. But I didn't trust my reasoning. I said, God, this fear of man is sin. It's wrong. Please help me to get free. I prayed that prayer many times for a number of years. But God liberated me. He liberated me. It took time. Don't give up. Whatever your pursuit is, if it's godly, don't give up. He will liberate you. But he's the one who's making the vessel, not us. <laughs> he is making you what he wants you to be. It's not going to be like you want to be. He's looking at the whole picture. I'm looking at one little dot that bothers me. It's in my eye. It hurts, you know. I'm trying to get that dirt out of my eye. But God looks at the whole picture and what he wants to make out of you and what your work is supposed to be here on earth. We all have a work to do here on earth, but we won't get to it unless we let God deal with us. He will deal with us according to our willingness to give up my opinions 
and my pursuits and the way I want to have it in life. I've been listening on YouTube to testimonies of people that God liberated that I would have thought hopeless, totally hopeless. You know what the, one of the first things God says to touch people when they finally uh, break down and call upon him is he tells them that he loved them all the while. He loved them all the while. He was watching over them. I have a friend like that. He was, I might have shared this with you. Have, have I told you about a friend I have in Ohio named Ed Christensen? And how that when he was 12 years old, his parents forced him to go up front and be baptized in the Nazarene church. That, that became a very close friend of mine. The closest friend I had in the, in the Smith Friends Church was Ed Christensen. And I used to go there to his house when they had a conference out there. And the first thing we did is we, Ed and I would go out to Kroger's and we'd buy the groceries and split the cost for all the people that came to stay at his house for the conference. <laughs> we were just, we were, we were really, really close. And what made us close, uh, it's, I don't know what it was. I know my wife was not with me and I, I was just me and the children. When the first time I was at his house, I was, I don't remember what I was sharing about my experience in the living room, but he came from behind where I was sitting and he whispered in my ear, when everybody else is going to bed, can you and I sit out in the car and talk? So I said, sure. So Ed opened his life and his failures and whatever problems he had with me and wanted to be my friend. But I've never ever shared with anyone what he told me. I've never shared it, and I won't share it with anyone. It's a personal matter that he shared with me. And that to share that would betray my friendship with him. But anyhow, he told me a long time after that that he never went back to that church again, that Nazarene church. He told his parents, I'll never go back here again. And then he, he became part of the hippie movement and got into drugs and sex and all that life. And, uh, and he ended up, he, just to make it real short, he ended up in prison for a short time, to, then the judge threw it out because he didn't have enough evidence. But during that time, he started reading the Bible, he started reading some Eastern religion book. And in that, uh, it said that if he wants to know God or, or see God, he has to go to the mountains. You find God in the mountains. So him and his buddies ended up out in California and the mountains. And they were all together there. And at that point, there were some things that he already had started developing, had developed convictions about, and that is bad language is wrong. Certain language is wrong. And 
sex out of marriage, outside of marriage is wrong. And uh, so one of his, they were sitting around in this pool, all together, sitting around in this pool, and one of, it was made from hot spring, you know, warm water, and one of, and they were all sitting in there naked. And um, then one of his buddies used some language that was offensive to him, and he said, I'm getting out of here. And he got out of the pool, and he walked, and there was a cliff there, and down below the cliff was a river, and there was a rock that stuck up out of the river. And he got down there and swam out in the river, and he sat there on that rock. And he was just looking around at all the beauty. And I can imagine how beautiful it looked, you know, in California in the mountains there. And then he said, all of a sudden, I just felt like a piece of trash cluttering up the beauty. I really felt rotten. I guess rotten to the core. And uh, he began to cry. And God, he said, I heard God with these ears, he said. He said to me, uh, I have always been with you. He said, what do you think I did? What was the first thing you think I did after that? What do you think he might have done? I didn't know. I had no answer for that. He said, I swam out and put my clothes on. That <laughs> was in my mind, but I thought that was more. <laughs> <laughs> Adam and Eve felt naked too, didn't they? To meet God, they wanted clothes on. And I still feel that way too. <laughs> Praise God for that. God will meet you where you are when you're ready to give your all to Him. When you come to the end of yourself and say, God, if it costs my life and if I have to die, I'll give it for you to do with my, with my body what you want. And when you're ready, fully ready like that, God will meet your need. He is so awesomely good. I can't overemphasize that. He's so awesomely good. He loves all of us so dearly. And he wants us to have life and have it more abundantly. We don't have to go around wondering whether God loves us. He's proven that on the cross. I've read the story of another, or listened to the man that said he took me and took me over to Israel from this country. One night at midnight, he took me over there because I said, God, just take me for what I am. I, I, I give up. I, I, don't, I don't have anything to offer you. My body, if you can do something with me, I'll give it to you. 